about as tough as they get that kind of loss um, you know doesn't happen very often we've been pretty good in those situations uh, you know in my time here um, whacking that thing around you know thankfully it's not two weeks from now in a playoff series uh, you know because that would obviously uh, be a lot harder to take the groins aren't very good usually you know, these games, the toughest part isn't physically recovering, it's mentally recovering when you lose that way. So we'll have to uh, look at it tomorrow and, and regroup and, you know, spend time on, on the things we did well tonight and try and clean up some of the other stuff. Things got testy. Um, you're going to have to remind me, there were so many goals tonight. <laughs> Shove it in. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. A lot did get shoved in last night. Um, shot it. Golden Knights you, lose. You, you know what? You know what didn't get shoved in? The sixth goal that came from like 700 feet. That didn't get. That shoved is in. true. That is true. It did not get shoved in. It was. Uh, it was sniped in. Ed, a yeah. sniper. Did you guys enjoy uh, that? Like Robin Litter did. Like basically a post game breakdown of like, well, goal number four. That was this. Goal number five. That was this. And goal number six just came from nowhere. Oh, Robin Leonard. All right. It's time to give out grades. Ed is here to be very confused mm. when he gives you seven yes. grades for one topic. Seven? I thought there were five. Grainy's grades. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Brainies, brainies. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. God damn it, I hate Jack Fanning! First topic to grade is the NHL debut of Peyton Krebs. A plus 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 pass. A plus 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 pass. I thought the guy was really good for a guy who didn't even play 10 minutes. Uh, has the assist. Really nice pass to Tuck. Um, I think they outshot him. They outscored him when he was on the ice. I think Pete DeBoer afterwards was right where he said he messed up and should have played the kid more. So I thought the guy was really good in the small amount of time he was on the ice. Uh, so I'll give him an A, first time ever out there. You know what? He, he would have gotten an A++ instead of three pluses, but I really liked his rookie lap there to start the night. Oh. You know, hit a couple pucks down, scored both goals on the on the, uh, on the the lap, a uh, couple laps, and uh, yeah, I thought he was good. Which, by the way, uh, brings up another beef I have with the Golden Knights. When Jake Bischoff made his NHL debut, they did not give him the rookie lap. Did they even know he was on the team at that point? Apparently not, but he made his <laughs> NHL debut and did not get a rookie lap. It's a bunch of crap. This organization Ooh. hates Bischoff. Um, but Peyton Krebs gets a B. B. Had the highest Corsi on the team, had an assist that was a very good pass, but I, I can't give him an A because Pete DeBoer stopped playing him. He played nine minutes and five hey. seconds in that game. But that's not he his played- fault. I, well, you can't get an A if you don't on the ice. He was behind Keegan Colasar and Will Carrier for ice time. Like, Pete DeBoer uh, can say whatever he wants at the in the post-game press conference, but Pete DeBoer didn't trust Peyton Krebs in that game. Like, there was a lack of trust 
in pay, putting Peyton Krebs on the ice in a late game, in a close late game against the Minnesota Wild. Like, you, the Golden Knights. You got to have Polisar and Carey on the ice, though, because oh, you want that big boy. 75 to stop the chirp. Oh, boy. How about you just <laughs> score another goal and the chirping will go away? Just don't lose and they won't have anything to chirp. Um, but yeah, I, I can only give them a B because of that. Now, the Golden Knights as an organization, though, I'm giving them an A. A. Because they played Peyton Krebs. Like, if you remember Cody Glass. What what was the phrase McPhee used? You gotta. It's better to overcook them than undercook them, or some yeah, crap overcooked. like that. Like, yeah. like Cody Glass like wasn't allowed to play in the NHL for like three yeah. years, and so the Golden Knights actually using Peyton Krebs the first chance they got is phenomenal. And see, you can see what he can do for you the rest of the regular season, and if he can help you in the playoffs, help you win a Stanley Cup, you use him in the playoffs. Now again. Pete DeBoer needs to play him more than nine minutes for them to figure that out. But uh, to actually put that guy on the team and in the lineup, phenomenal job. I'm impressed they did that after the way they handled Cody Glass. Next topic to grade, referees. C.F. Pass-Fail. C.F. Pass-Fail. So they get the C in the pass because I like chirping. C, C pass. Chirp, chirp, chirp away. C, uh, C. We need as yeah, we need as much chirping as possible because that's why Mark Stone believes they lost the game, which is perfect. Um, they get an F because they're referees, and I don't give referees anything but that. So it's a C and an F. I have a very specific annoyance. There were two scrums in that game. The first one yes. was Riley Smith. He he hit Kaprizov with like an elbow during a play. And then everybody started shoving each other. And that led to Matt Dumba and Riley Smith punching each other while the ref was tr- the ref was holding them and they kept trying to punch each other. Uh, what ended up happening is two players from the Minnesota Wild went to the penalty box and Riley Smith went to the penalty box for the Golden Knights. But neither team ended up on a power play. They just played five on five after that. And then a few minutes later, there was another scrum where everybody was shoving and only Felino for Minnesota went to the box, then the Golden Knights got a power play. Here's my problem. As a television audience, we knew absolutely nothing as to yes. what the referees called because they did not announce a single thing. Maybe they did in the arena and we just missed it in terms of the television cameras being on it, but I don't believe they made a single announcement as to what those penalties were, and I don't understand how that doesn't happen. The NFL has this down. The referee has a microphone. He he knows which way to face so the television cameras can see him. They will wait to come back from commercial before the referees announce the penalties in the NFL. How the hell does hockey not do this? How do we not have every time there's a penalty, it is announced so that, A, the crowd can see it and that the TV picks it up? Normally they do, but last night, what the hell was that? We had multiple guys sitting in the penalty box and no explanation as to what happened. So the referees get an F because how the hell am I supposed to know what you called or didn't call? Ridiculous from the referees. Can I slide one in here because of what you just said and give Riley Smith an F as well? F. (laughs) Because (laughs) here's the thing. Seems like a nice guy, but Floyd Mayweather, he ain't. So when Hartman and Duma and guys like that come at you, you need to back up. You're not, you're more of a skater. You're not a fighter. It was very, and eventually he did. You saw where like he tried to get into it and then he he proved the efficiency of skating backwards 
as everyone came in. But the two dudes on the wild, you don't want to mess with. He kind of like tried to stand up. like, yeah, you got to back up here, Floyd. It's not happening for you. Actually, to, 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 to keep grading people here, uh, Shea Theodore gets an F. Because F. when that first scrum happened, Matt Dumba skated in looking for Riley <laughs> Smith and ran into <laughs> Shea Theodore. And Shea Theodore just sort of let him go. Like, Shea Theodore had a chance. Like, normally, you grab the guy that comes skating in so he can't go try to punch your teammate in the yeah. face. But Shea Theodore just, like, ushered him to Riley Smith and said, yeah, he's there over, he is. He's over go there. Out. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. I give him an A then because he doesn't want to mess with that a. guy. He's just like, yeah, go beat up Riley. Just give him a hug and skate him away. Not, you don't have to punch him. Just a big, big hug. Not to rewind too far, but... Did no one on Twitter keep you apprised of what was going on in the game, Tyler? You needed the ref to tell you? They didn't know either, Jerry, because they no, were nobody knew. I've never had nobody that experience. Knew. I have nobody knew. I have only ever experienced a Golden Knights game where everyone keeps me apprised of the situation on Twitter. Next topic. Minnesota Wild head coach Dean Evason. Um, he gets an F, F. because... I think when he was looking at the iPad to challenge goalie interference, he was instead looking at the scores around the league and didn't realize it was a completely stupid challenge. Now, I don't think the Krebs one was offsides. I don't think that would have been overturned either to the tuck goal. But you got to know better like a couple minutes in. And by the way, the Knights scored on the power play. So that's a horrible decision. Not only that he you have no chance of getting it overturned, because um, I think our guy Maddie was in front. He, he wasn't fully in the crease, so that wasn't going to happen. But then you give up the power play goal afterwards on the on the uh, delay of game. So he gets an F for me. It F. is the worst challenge in the history of the yeah, sport. Yeah, it's horrible. Shea Theodore F. scores. Matias Janmark is in front of the ice. Cam Talbot, the goalie for Minnesota, he shoved Janmark a little bit. He's yes. the one that created the contact. And then as the shot comes in, Janmark never touches Cam Talbot. And yeah. Dean Evison challenged this. I have literally no idea what they saw. No clue what they thought was going to happen. It is the worst challenge I have ever seen. And the Golden Knights got a power play goal off of it because when you lose a challenge, you get penalized for two minutes. Next topic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a new one in for you. Robin Leonard. We didn't get to him in the opening segment. Oh. So give Robin Leonard a grade. I give him an F. I F. don't – I'm not uh, I'm not going to say everyone was his problem because I think at last night UI and Jared would have been in the crease. No one would have seen what was there because obviously the Wild were all around the crease last night and no one was really picking anyone up. But at the end of the day, when you're up 5-3 and uh, you lose 6-5 and there's six against you, I'm sorry, it's pro hockey. You can't get anything other than that. It's not look, it's like every game, not everyone's his fault. I get that, but you're the guy, so that's what you get. Yeah, both goalies weren't very good. Um expected goals wise, it was the Minnesota was at two point nine three and they, they scored six. So Leonard gave up basically three more than expected. Um and the the worst one is the shot that goes into his glove that pops out of his glove and oh, sits yeah. in the crease. Yeah. to be tapped home like that like you, you can't just drop one out yeah. of your club that no. can't i mean it's gonna happen but that's how you end up losing games in the playoffs because you have something stupid like that happen so robin leonard yes it's enough for last night i'm curious to see the next time if. he plays how he plays because i mean all, all it's honestly going to take is like a game or two like that in these last few games, and uh-oh, now you're not playing at all in the playoffs, and they're going to Marc-Andre Fleury instead. All right, next topic is Shea Theodore. 
D minus asterisk. D minus asterisk. You can't get a complete F when you score, but for a guy who played the second most minutes, they weren't good when he was on the ice. And by the way, he might have got a C minus asterisk, but he also uh, he he gets the D minus instead of the F because he didn't involve in the fight and he kind of skated the guy into Riley Smith. So you kind of give him credit there because he would have gotten his butt kicked too, like Smith. So I'm gonna go D minus asterisk. If he doesn't score, if he doesn't score that goal. He's an F last night. They weren't very good F. with him on the ice. Yeah, he's still an F. Um, the Golden F. Knights. The Golden Knights, when Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb were on the ice together, uh, allowed seven high danger chances, and they did not create a single one. Uh, but what's fascinating about Shea Theodore is last year and this year he is sheltered. The Golden Knights do not use him against the other team's best players now. Minnesota doesn't have a Nathan McKinnon line that's just so dominant that that you're that whatever like Shea Theodore still plays against the top line of Minnesota, but they got destroyed by the top line of Minnesota. They got destroyed by the second line of Minnesota last year. Shea Theodore, as good as he is offensively, hasn't proven that he can be a good defensive defenseman against the other team's best lines, and that's part of the reason why they got Petrangelo is so that Petrangelo could take those minutes. But Shea Theodore, like, that's that's the next step. And we're getting to a point where we've seen it for basically a season, two seasons now, where that hasn't happened. And at some point it has to happen. Otherwise, Theodore is just going to be, you know, a really good offensive defenseman. But he can't be a top pairing guy because you can't use him against the other team's best lines. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. UNLV's three-point streak. Oh, it's a lie. It's not what you think it is. But first... Here's your chance to win a copy of MLB The Show for Xbox. We're going to take caller number six at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. You will win a copy of MLB Show The Show for Xbox, which is out now on PS5 and Xbox. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude, I'm not going to cave in. End of story, dude. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude. 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 Bischoff's Briefs. Dude. Bischoff's Briefs. I guess you've got a point there. Ed, did you know UNLV hasn't made a three-pointer in every game? Oh, don't tell that to the fan base. We'll have uh, all six listeners are going to hang up on you, man. This is not, do not, do not even float that out there that they don't have the all time record. Because if they don't have that, comma, what do they have? So the NCAA adopted the three point line officially in the 1986 87 season. And from the start of that season, UNLV has made a three pointer in every single game. That they have played. Their streak is 1,129 games with a made three-pointer. But what I did not know until recently is that UNLV has not made a three in every single game that they have played with the three-point line. Because while the NCAA adopted the three-point line officially in 86-87, college basketball was actually played from 82-83 until 86-87 with some conferences using the three-point line, meaning that UNLV played in some games 
with the three-point line before it was official by the NCAA. So, in total, UNLV played 64 games uh, before the NCAA adopted it without or with the three-point line, and they only made a three in 53 of those games. So that means there are 11 games in the history of UNLV basketball in which UNLV has played with the three-point line and failed to make a three-pointer. Uh, so again, my question to you, did you know that? Like, did you know that the streak was a technicality of when the NCAA adopted the three point line and not every game UNLV has played with the three point line? I absolutely, I absolutely knew that for the last 12 hours when I read it on your blog. Uh, and before that, I had absolutely no idea. I just assumed they had the record. They they announced it after every first reporter. The most ex- this is where they're you know, and hopefully Kevin Kruger improved this. But let's be honest, the most exciting thing about that program, in like the last several years, is if it's the second half and they haven't made a three pointer, and like everyone's right. on the edge of their seats, but for them to make a three pointer, they finally make it, and you know, everyone goes crazy. Right. So I so to be to be fair to UNLV, anywhere that they write it, they absolutely say. Since the NCA adopted the three-point line, like they absolutely yes. say that. I just, I don't know. Never thought about it. Never occurred to me that there were games played before the NCA adopted it, and that they might not have made a three in that game until this weekend when I was looking yeah. through the media guide. And that's when I discovered, oh wow, they've played games where they haven't made a three-pointer. And I think, I think most UNLV fans are under the impression that UNLV has made a three-pointer in every single game they have played sure. with three-point line, but that's not, in fact, accurate. That's not what it is. And, and here's the thing. like If you watch UNLV basketball on TV, the way TV announcers phrase it is as if they've made one in every game they have played with oh. the three-point line. Um, now, UNLV still has the record, though. You don't have to be worried about that. They do have the longest streak in the nation with that 1,129 straight games with a made three. I believe Vanderbilt, Princeton, and UNLV were the only three that had made a three in every game since the NCAA adopted the three-point line. I know Vanderbilt a couple years ago lost their streak, so it's just UNLV and Princeton at this point that have made a three in every game since it was adopted. But Princeton, I don't even think, I think Princeton is like 200 games behind UNLV or something along those lines. So they still have the record. They still have the most consecutive games with a made three at 1,129. But they have played games with a three-point line and not made a three. Okay, so this is tough because, like you said, they every every TV game they're on, they say they're – do you think it's legitimate at this point? you think it's legitimate? Well, more so than when you realized and you did some research? Or are you still okay with them saying what it is? Oh, I, I'm perfectly fine with them saying what it is and, and keeping the streak and, and all that. That's perfectly fine because they do still have the record. It was just a little disappointing because, again, I was under the impression every game they played with a three-point line, they had made a three. And that, to me, was... It, it, as much as the streak like doesn't really matter, it was still impressive. Like they were one of a few teams that have done that, but in reality, they haven't done that. There have been games they played the three point line and didn't make a three, so it's a little less impressive than it was before to me. Uh, but it's still impressive. And I here's the thing: as as okay. much as the streak doesn't actually matter, I love that it matters to UNLV fans. I love it so much that this is such a big deal that the streak matters well, and people need them to yeah, make a three. That and I've I've gotten emails on this. 
Yeah, I've gotten emails and phone calls on this, and it just drives. It doesn't. I don't really care either way, but I think it's funny. I'll leave it at that. There are countless people out there, in my mind, and you can tell me what you think. That if I say, and I don't even care if it's Montana State, I don't care who you're playing. There are countless people out there who will take the streak over a win. <laughs> don't you agree? Yes, of course they will. And and here's the other part. I think that's insane. I don't care who this, you're playing. You want to win the game. This happened this past season where they didn't make one until like eight minutes to go in the game or something like that. But the argument, and I and I can't, I think I agree with it. The argument the last couple of years from UNLV fans has been, what's it matter if you lose a game when you're not going to the NCAA tournament? Like, what's it matter if you lose a random game in February to Fresno State when you have no NCAA tournament hopes? Who cares if you lose that game? You'd rather have the streak than that win. Now, if it's a team that's playing for the NCAA tournament, then you, you probably want the win because you want to go to the NCAA tournament. But, like, last year, if they lose one more game last season but they kept the streak alive, that's I, I, think, I think they're right to, to accept that when the team sucks. Man, it's just such a weird way of thinking of things that you'd want to <laughs> loss so you can say 1,456. I, I just, I don't know, I... I can't get past that to where that's more important to people. And you're right. It is. I mean, there are countless people I've talked to and people who've written me emails, written me when I say that's stupid, saying, no, no, the streak matters. It's like, I guess, but it kind of also puts in perspective where your team's been since 2013 when the last time you made the NCAA tournament. The only thing I want, if the streak ever ends, I don't think it will anytime soon, but the only thing I want, if the streak ends, it needs to be in a home game. I need to be there. <laughs> to watch UNLV fans in person lose their minds when it ends. Because if you haven't seen it, go back and look up when Vanderbilt streak ended. SEC Network went split screen for the final two minutes <laughs> to show the game and show fan reactions on every Vanderbilt offensive possession. It was phenomenal TV. One of the best, uh, like best college basketball viewing experiences you oh, can have God. is the split screen on Vanderbilt fans losing their minds uh, because their streak was coming to an end against Tennessee and being mad uh, that Vanderbilt players were taking open layups in the final two minutes because they needed a damn three to keep the streak alive. All right, geez. coming up next, we will talk to the manager of the Las Vegas Aviators, Fran Reardon. Abad stretches, left hand already, 3-2 pitch. Line drive into right center field. That's in for a base hit. In the scores, Barreto. Peyton going to third. The throw, he's in there. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Are you Joining us now, the manager of the Las Vegas Aviators, Fran Reardon. Fran, how are you this morning? Hello, Fran. I couldn't be better. Morning, guys. Uh, all right, so actually, I, I want to start with this. What do you think it's going to be like playing the same team six times in a row? Well, um, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different than playing them 22 times in a row because we just came <laughs> off of uh, our alternate site where we played them 16 times in a row. So, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. We're starting a season. Everyone's so excited to start the season. Uh, playing a team six times in a row is, you know, the least of our worries. We're just happy to be back on the field and happy to be playing in front of fans and Excited to get the season going. That must have been really cool to say. We won the series. We won nine games. We won the series. Uh, <laughs> 16 in a row is, is, is amazing. Um, that must have been unique. you know. And, and can you talk about uh, alternate sites and, and 
kind of the last year, we haven't talked to you in terms of the pandemic, what it did to guys at the minor league level trying to make the major leagues and the alternate sites. How different really was it? Or is it it's baseball and they're going to go out there and they're going to play who's in front of them. But like, how weird has it been the last year at that level? It's, it's been different. I mean, it's been uh, uncharted waters, uncharted territory. And, you know, it's kind of a, a find out as you go scenario. But last year, we, we didn't play any other team. We, we just had inter-squad games every day, and the guys were facing, you know, the same pitchers and the same hitters every day. And, you know, that, that gets a little bit, uh, little bit taxing mentally. This year, we at least had the ability to play San Francisco's alternate site. We were, we were uh, down in Stockton, and they were up in Sacramento, and it was just a 45-minute drive. But, you know, what, whether we were playing another team or whether we just had days to, to work out, the, the guys are just working on getting better and, and working on becoming productive major league players and, and looking to fill a need if, if something does happen at the major league level. So uh, kind of a lot of things going on, and I think just to a man, everyone just took it the right way and had a great attitude at the alternate sites. Uh, so obviously, without having minor league baseball last year, it's it's not good for the development of players within organizations. But I'm I'm curious, was there anything about alternate sites or the way last year played out, or even the first month of this year that like was it was strangely good? Like, was there any like positives that came from the setup the last year and a half? I think so. I I truly believe that the younger players we had, you know, a couple of guys, 19, 20 years old, at the alternate site last year. Um, guys that we had just drafted or signed as uh, minor league free agents that, you know, were able to be around a lot of guys that were older, that had veteran experience, major league experience. And I think those guys learned uh, way more than they would have learned had they gone to a regular short season or a low A, uh, low a ball club and had their season there. So I think the the young players that were at the alternate site last year and uh, they really got to experience some things that they never would have normally, and I think it's going to help their careers. What do you expect coming in now? Like we said, you go six straight, you go Wednesdays off. Uh, kind of talk about your ball club coming into this season, what you expect, what you, what your goals are, how you set them out. We've talked about this before where all of their goals tend to be they want to go one more level up, they want to make it, but while they're here, what do you want or expect from this team? Well, I, I think that the players know that the expectation that was set here in Las Vegas from uh, our inaugural year in 2019 is, is what we're striving for and, and even even beyond that. Um, obviously, the first goal of each one of these players is to either get to the major leagues for the first time or get back to the major leagues and be, uh, be a productive player there. But it doesn't matter whether you get that opportunity or not, you have a job to do at this level. And I know guys are very excited to come in and very excited to, to start the season. And, you know, Sacramento will be a good t- test for us. You know, first series coming out of the year, they're a good team. I, I've seen that firsthand the last month, and I think it's going to be a great test for us. And I know the guys are looking forward to it. Uh, friend, you got to manage Jesus Luzardo for, for a brief period of time. He broke his finger playing a video game before a start. Uh, do you have any idea what game he would have been playing? <laughs> I, I haven't heard the exact name. <laughs> and it's an unfortunate injury that he's never going to live down. But, uh, you know, if I had to guess, Zeus seems like a, a Call of Duty guy. And I know a lot of guys play Call of Duty together with their headsets. And, uh, you know, they're trash talking. So I'm going to guess Call of Duty. Was was that a like pre-game, pre-start like superstition or ritual that he had? 
what, to, to break his hand? Uh, that, that'd be a weird one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd, that'd be the first time for that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly the okay. timing of it or what the, what the exact circumstances are. I just know that nobody feels worse than, than Jesus does. He's, he's really such, such a great kid and such a great talent that I know he's hurting right now, both physically and yeah, you know, he he feels like he needs to be out there for his team, and and uh, you know he'll be he'll be back soon enough. How okay? How is often this, has there been? How often has there been an injury to a player, and you get told how it happened, and you're just like, "Excuse me, what he was doing? How did that happen?" Uh, well, if it happens in front of me on the field, is pretty much the only time I'll believe that's how it actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you you're around this game for long enough, and you know, at the end of the day, you're you're. Uh, you know, you're with kids that are in their early, mid, late twenties, and sometimes they make uh, decisions that aren't the best for for their careers. And you know, you, you just hope they learn from them so it doesn't happen again. But I mean, we're all we're all <laughs> human, and we all make mistakes, especially when we're that age. So you know, it's just you, you just hope it doesn't affect them career-wise. You hope it's not that big of a deal, and they can get through it and, and learn the lesson they're supposed to learn from it. I mean, is this? Maybe in the in the preseason uh, uh, talk before Thursday, something you remind them of and say, let's not do this. And I, I actually hope you allow this and you make Don Logan like come in the clubhouse every day and check to see what people are playing because we want Don uh, to have another duty uh, upon all of this. But is this something talked about or is this like you said, they're kids and you can't really have, you know, a ton of rules. They, they have to make it fun as well off the field. Well, I mean, it's it's already been talked about. Everyone knows it's a very, you know, the, the the Oakland A's are a very small family. Whether it's the major league team or the minor league team, we're all keeping tabs of what's going on there. And there's friends, you know, on both staffs and and rosters. And these guys talk all the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a topic of conversation, but it's nothing that I would have to say. Hey, guys, if you get upset playing a video game, please don't smash anything with your hand. It's just. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that would be a little bit a little bit odd, and you, it, it, there's a certain expectation that no one's going to do that. But you know, emotions sometimes get the best of people. Um, it was it was poor timing for the Aviators and the and the pandemic, given that it would have been the second season at Las Vegas Ballpark after you guys had a a good first season. So I, I'm curious, just what are your thoughts on people actually watching your teams play baseball again after a year of that not happening at all? When you're when you're going through the the baseball season or lack thereof, uh, you know you're you're grinding through the alternate sites for two years in a row, and you have a spring training that you you don't know that like for instance this season whether the regular season is gonna gonna happen. Um, you, you need things to look forward to, and I think this this applies to everybody and in, in the world right now. You need things to look forward to, and baseball players and coaches are you know the same that they have that perspective where. You know, we we just need to keep working and keep putting up with these protocols and keep doing what we need to do to keep ourselves and our teammates and our family and our organization safe. And then there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's a season. And after not experiencing a minor league season in 2019, I know the guys are very excited to get back here and play in front of the fans of Las Vegas. And it's it's going to be great. Um, you know, mostly we just see what happened at Las Vegas Ballpark when you were there and you've seen obviously as you go from park to park you fantasy atmospheres can you i i'm sure it was better than you thought but you can put it in perspective when that place it had everyone in it and the pool and the excitement can you compare it to other places you've been 
at the minor league level and how good it was when it was, you know, uh, rocking there the first year? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it exceeds all expectations that, that I had and um, all our players had. It was just such a magical year in 2019 and the, the kind of team that we had and the, the fan support that we got from the, the Las Vegas community. And it, it was just a, kind of a perfect storm of, of great experiences across the board. And, you know, to, to not have the season last year and then this year in spring training when they were talking about whether we're going to have the season or not. And, you know, the guys that were slated to come out here to Las Vegas, they started asking questions about the, the stadium and the fans in the area. And you can't really explain to them how wonderful it is, how beautiful the stadium is, how wonderful the amenities are, the fans are. Uh, you can't do it justice with words until the, the players actually get here and they see it and they understand what it's all about because this by far is the most special place in, in minor league baseball. Since you were at alternate sites, how, how recently have you been at Las Vegas Ballpark? Well, the last time I was here was uh, the last playoff game we had here in 2019. You know, other than that, I've been traveling, you know, from my home in Buffalo to Arizona, San Jose, Stockton, um, Sacramento. And now we're just at a point where we're here and ready to go and uh, couldn't be more excited. Uh, I'm sure you have daily conversations, especially once the season starts with the big club, uh, I'll throw this in there when they didn't start out well, but swept Tyler's Astros. We were all very happy on the show. Uh, as you look up there, uh, can you talk real quick? Because you know a lot of those guys in terms of the A's, and uh, no one's ever surprised if they're in first, but this kind of team that started off the way they did and now obviously are playing a lot better. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very, very strange start to the season, knowing how talented we were and knowing what a great coaching staff we have up there. It was, it was strange to start 0-6. Um, and true to form, the A's never really let things bother them or get them down too much, and then they rattle off a 13-game winning streak and put themselves in, in first place in the American League West. Um, so that was more of the expectation, I think, that the Major League team had going into the season, and uh, it was the expectation that I had, too, just knowing how talented they were. But to see them kind of scuffle that way and then reel off 13 in a row, and they've been playing well ever since, it's it's more true to form of who the A's are at the major league level, and it's uh, it's great to see that turnaround. Well, he is Fran Reardon, manager for the Las Vegas Aviators. And, Fran, well, good luck. If you have a 13-game win streak, you'll have only beaten three different teams this year. So good luck this year <laughs> trying to get a 13-game win streak. Uh, we appreciate the time this morning, Fran. Thanks, Fran. Yeah. Uh the the AAA schedule that that what they're doing this year is they play the same team Thursday through Tuesday six straight days, and then have Wednesday off and play another team Thursday through Tuesday six straight games. Like it, the schedule, like it makes sense from a travel standpoint that you're trying to limit travel. But like again, somebody at some point is going to be going for a six game sweep yeah. over their opponent yeah. this year. I so wanted to be at an alternate site when after you won the ninth game, you're like, fellas, we won the series. <laughs> we won the series. <laughs> nine and seven, we won the series. So just, How about just, that? Everybody like, just relax. straight. We've, we've won all nine, the first nine games. You could just, just take the rest of the series off. <laughs> Man, that must be crazy. 16 straight? Yeah, the, the alternate sites where they basically paired up uh, like minor league teams to play other minor league AAA teams. Like, like that's got to be a disaster playing the same team over and over. And then, as Fran says, that that 
that's the same. That's the same team they're opening the season with on Thursday. Is yeah. Sacramento, who they've been playing the entire time. So, <laughs> Ted, Teddy's pitching the sixth. We've seen him sixteen times in the last two weeks. We kind of have him figured out. Yeah, just you bring in just crushing. You bring in a reliever, and it's like ah, it's the fourth time they faced him in five days. They might know what's coming now. All right, uh, coming up next. Oh, it's the it is the birthday of the best player in the Raiders organization. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. So that goes for all of us. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Kyle Shanahan, that was when he was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo before the draft and if Jimmy Garoppolo would be on the roster come Sunday. And he took it a step further saying, I can't guarantee that Jimmy Garoppolo or anybody will be alive on Sunday. (laughs) Well, apparently 49ers players thought that was funny uh, because Mike Garofolo reported that uh, multiple players on the 49ers called or texted Kyle Shanahan to let him know on Sunday that they survived and they were still alive. Uh, yeah, okay, that uh, that was interesting when he said that. Um, it was probably the best clip of the weekend other than Aaron Rodgers under contract. I can't talk about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I'm trying to think what a, what a better clip was over the weekend and we don't know if anyone's going to be alive. In essence, you know, in essence, uh, he was right, right? We don't know. We don't know what's happened. I might not be talking to you on Monday. Well, oh, who knows? I the, the part I liked well, is... I mean, I have to drive over the weekend. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, the part I enjoyed is the fact that it's like, so I don't know who's going to be on our team. I don't know who's going to be alive. And it's like, Coach, uh, I'm alive, so I'll be on the team. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, okay. So Do you, get, did- that, uh, get that roster bonus ready. Did Jimmy Garoppolo send one of those text messages to say, hey, I'm alive? He probably organized uh, it. He, he needs yeah, to. He needed he to. He probably if, did. If Jimmy, Jimmy came G, out today and said he's all in on helping Trey Lance. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers said that about he's Jordan all in, Love He's all in on being day. a nice mentor to Trey Lance. Absolutely. That's Jimmy's way. No, no, well, you good- can't be a mentor. You gotta, you gotta take the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers path, and say bleep this guy, bleep this organization. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> you draft somebody to All replace right. me. Get him out of here. Uh, I mean, okay, so I grabbed this, be- so I'm just gonna play it now. Are there any discussions at this point with Green Bay about Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is under contract to another team. <laughs> I can't talk about him. I just wanted I to get that in there. In. Can't in. talk about uh, him. Oh boy, Ed, did you know that? Um, have we have we dissected this really like quite enough? That like, Ed, did you know he was under contract? Oh, it was tough. I thought he was. I thought he was coming to one of three teams. I didn't know. Well, I, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. The only reason I asked is what that Lynch earlier in the day supposedly, but now we know it was Shanahan. They mentioned they had called. I just assumed you can talk. I assumed you could say that. So either Mayock's really tied up or. Or Lynch and Shanahan, you know, made a mistake and tampered. I don't know which one it is. Well, of of course you can say it. Of course you can say, yeah, we called the Packers to ask about a player they have. We called called to ask about Aaron Rodgers. Because here's the thing. Like we said earlier in the show, 
Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. There's a report that Aaron Rodgers wants to go to one of three teams. You're one of those three teams. If I'm Mike Mayock, I say, you're damn right we called. It's Aaron bleeping Rodgers. <laughs> like, That's my bad. I asked a bad question. I should have said, have you called on him? Oh, I, I think you would have got, well, you know, Ed, he's under contract. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think it would have given a different answer. I, that is, I just, that is I, right, Jared. I don't <laughs> know what your relationship with Mike Mayock is, but it's it, he sounds like me talking to my mom in that clip. Just like, <laughs> no, m- mom, he hasn't worked since the mid-80s. <laughs> like, like, not your question at all, but I have my answer. Get Mike Mayock normally little. answers things. He, he normally gives good answers, to, or at least gives somewhat of an answer to things. We knew it'd be controversial. <laughs> did you? Uh, did you guys see Cassie? On, on uh, she's with me now. She's never watched. I guess it's May the Fourth. Be with you. I don't know. I don't know anything about these movies. But she said on Twitter this morning, "They'll make five more of these movies before I get engaged." And I, I promptly responded, "Only five? I mean, like." <laughs> Well, those are you kidding me? Five would be a layup. Well, there's only, I believe, only two are in pre production right now, are in production. (laughs) So she's stretching that out pretty, pretty good. All right. So, Ed, you will will not be watching Astros Yankees on ESPN where Tim Kirkshin is dressed up as Yoda tonight? Oh, my God. I will not be. Oh, I am so, (laughs) I need that on a shirt. I will not be. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. I think Carl Ravitch is doing play-by-play. He's dressing up as Luke Skywalker. I can't remember who the uh, color analyst is. And then whoever, like, the studio host is going to be dressed up as Darth Vader. Is it is it as embarrassing as people are making me feel that I'd never watched one minute of it? Uh, no, because I hadn't okay. watched any of it until a year ago when I watched okay. them all during the okay. pandemic. But, yeah, you should watch them. They're fun movies. You don't have to love it. <laughs> 